Hello and welcome to The Gridiron Show. Week 17 is on the horizon. It's absolutely astonishing to think that we have got through the regular season without any full-on delays and without any... You know, there's been the blips, there's been the issues, and I'm sure that there will be certain fan bases, mainly in the AFC North, who have some gripes with how things have been done. But it looks like we're going to get the season done in normal time and get into the playoffs come the second weekend of January. So... Joining me, Will Gavin, on the show, as always, I have Gridiron Editor Liam Blackburn. Liam, how are you? Yes, good, thank you, mate. Yourself? Uh, yeah, not too bad, pal, not too bad. And, and, I mean, I almost did this as a running joke after one video and we'd done it and nearly didn't ask you, Simon Clancy, but how are you, buddy? I'm very well, Will. How are you? Yeah, it's good to know, mate. It's good to know. Uh, yeah, good, good. It's New Year's Eve, so we're recording this kind of early, early as possible New Year's Eve in 12 hours time this would be a very different podcast I imagine so despite everything that's going on we've got the good the bad the ugly from around the world of the NFL uh, and we will look forward well we'll try and pick out some week 17 games that we're excited about maybe intrigued is the right word rather than excited let's start off on on the good side of things And let's start off with the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, The race for that position will go into week 17 after a dominant offensive performance from the New Orleans Saints, particularly on the ground uh, on Christmas Day, was then matched on Sunday Night Football by a ridiculous performance from Green Bay against the supposed AFC contenders, the Tennessee Titans. Have they been shown up by that performance in Green Bay, Simon, to, to not quite be ready to get over the hump yet? It was interesting because I thought that that game would suit Tennessee really well. Green Bay team struggling a little bit on defence, who couldn't stop the run particularly well. And the weather, I just thought, would really suit what they wanted to do, which was just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball with Derek Henry. And actually what we got was probably the most consistent four-quarter performance from any team I think I've seen all season from Green Bay. You know, it was 19 nothing within uh, a really short space of time. And even when even when it got to 19-14, you just saw no scenario with which Tennessee were ever going to keep it close. So... I like the Titans. I think what they do well is what helps teams win in that portion of the year uh, that we're entering. But that was a sort of statement performance. And coming off the back, like you say, of New Orleans' excellent offensive performance, despite Drew Brees throwing interceptions on almost every pass. That's not true. (laughs) That's what Matt Terry said in the WhatsApp group, which we've been hammering him for ever since. But no, to me, Green Bay looked the favourites for home field advantage. And if that weather stays like it has been in... Green Bay could be the, you can almost lock them in as the as the Super Bowl team from the NFC if, if they're going to play like that every week. Well, we spoke about it before the game uh, last week. I think we all thought that the Titans were going to come in here and Derek Henry was going to have a, another huge game. And he had 23 attempts here. It wasn't like they got down and got away from the run. You know, they did what they wanted to do, but he didn't break 100 yards. And this was his, his lowest yards per carry since since week nine. I think you've got to credit the, the Green Bay defence for that a little bit. You know, we've seen people like Rashawn Gary step up last few weeks and then... Just in terms of the offense, I think this was probably the game where Rogers cemented his, his third MVP win. Got an email earlier from uh, Pro Football Reference. His passer rating is currently 119.4, which is third all time. And the only, the only two above him in history are Rogers in 2011 and Peyton Manning in 2004. And both of those won MVPs that year. And, you know, there's other great performances as well. AJ Dillon on the ground, you know, we haven't really seen him much because it's been the Aaron Jones show. Well, they're obviously saving Aaron Jones a little bit for the playoffs. And AJ. AJ Dillon had 124 yards and, and two rushing scores here. Devontae Adams, who, again, like like Rodgers, cemented his MVP um, award. I think he's probably cemented his place as the best wide receiver in football at the minute. Um, 
he had 12 targets here. No one else had more than three. It was blatantly obvious that they were going to keep looking for him. And yet he just kept catching the ball, getting touchdowns. And, and he's had an incredible year. And yeah, they look really good in all three phases. They're now the top ranked DVOA on DVOA, the top ranked offense ahead of the Chiefs, um, which is incredible when you think of some of the things that the Chiefs have done this year. So it's looking really good. And they're, they're hitting a stride at the right time. Obviously, week 17, they're going to play their starters against the Bears because they want that top seed. And yeah, if, if New Orleans are going into a, a snowy Lambo in late January, then you'd absolutely fancy Green Bay to win at the minute. I just want to say, it just felt like an absolute shock when Aaron Rodgers threw that interception. It was like, wow, he's throwing a pick. That was, you know, <laughs> it was only his fifth of the year. It just seems so bizarre, given how well he's played. There's turnover in five games, I think, which, again, is just another thing that they do really well. Protect the ball well. Don't fumble it. Don't throw picks. Interestingly as well, they've signed Snacks Harrison as well, uh, who was let go by Seattle, um, who was a rotational player in with Kenny Clark and, and the guy Dean Lowry and those guys on the defensive line. Could really help them stiffen up in... Um, yeah, in the playoffs against the run. You do have, when you look at their playoff record over recent years, it was, I, I was thinking to myself, well, they've lost quite a few playoff games at Lambeau in recent seasons, but it's not been recent. It was kind of back early in the 2000s. They had the Giants loss where they were had that ridiculous season of offensive stats, went, what, 15-1 and one, and then lost in the open round of playoffs. Colin Kaepernick went in and ran for like 200 yards on them. But that was back in 2013 now, and all their playoff losses since then have been on the road. Had the crazy loss to Carlos Dansby fumble, didn't they? That, yeah. And then they had the, the Larry Fitzgerald kind of catch and run after the two Hail Marys. Just bizarre playoff defeats. But then being hammered by the Falcons, hammered by the 49ers as well. I, I do wonder, you look at New Orleans, and I guess from recent seasons, the most obvious comparison, because we, we've taken the mick out of Matt Sherry for a Sherryism when he tried to claim that every throw from Drew Brees was acceptable, which is just nonsense. Like the first half performance particularly, he threw for what, 311 yards. And yes, he had two picks, but they were choosing to run the ball in the red zone because you've got a guy who has equaled a record which has stood for nearly a century. 1929 was the last time someone ran for six touchdowns in the same game. So I wonder whether when you look at, say, a team like the Denver Broncos that went and won the Super Bowl at Super Bowl 50 with a somewhat immobile quarterback by that point, maybe not with the best of arms, but clearly still with the smarts, and then a great defense and a good running game, is that something New Orleans can recreate? And if they've got to go and do it in Lambeau in particular... Liam, is that something they can recreate up there in the cold? With all due respect to Matthew Sherrier, Drew Brees had 73% completion here. You know, his, his completion stat hasn't dropped off. The last few years, this is the way he plays now. He can't push the ball down the field. He doesn't have Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith's out. And the key to it is Alvin Kamara, absolutely. He's, they're, they're going to live and die in the playoffs based on how Alvin Kamara looks. They had a bad few weeks. He, had a, he was quiet for a few weeks when Taysom Hill came in, but he's so important to what Drew Brees does and and yeah, for me, it was incredible, really, that this was his first 100-yard rushing game all season. Um, I just love watching him play. He's so, so effortless. You know, it doesn't look like he's going through the gears. He just kind of, people slip off him when they try and tackle him, just drop off his waist. And the concern is that everyone knows what Breeze is at this stage in his career and can obviously game plan around that. But he does have a, a check down option in Alvin Kamara, who's, who's one of the best in the league. And, and the defence is still playing at a high level as well. I think they're probably come up a little bit short against the Packers, but... I don't think it'd be a blowout or by any stretch of the imagination. Two of the best offensive lines in the league as well, when you look at, at those two teams. You know, you go across Terran Armstead, Ryan Ramchick, Eric McCoy, the centre at Texas, 
superb player for, for the Saints. Uh, Andrus Pete, who's been an all-pro as well uh, at left guard. Then you go to the Packers with, obviously, Bakhtiari, who's the best left tackle in the game. Elton Jenkins, one of the best, most underrated young players in the league. Corey Lindsley, probably in the best centre in the NFL this year. Billy Turner, obviously, kind of reclamation project from the Dolphins, who's playing really well. So that's really important at this time of the year, not only in protection, but also when you want to go on the road and run the ball, control the clock, and you've got backs like Kamara, Dylan, Jones, et cetera, et cetera. To have those strong offensive lines is an absolute boon. So we talked the number one seed in the NFC this weekend, Green Bay face off with the Bears. The Bears still have their own playoff implications in that. We'll get to that a little bit when we talk about Cards Rams coming up. Little tip, that's not going in the good section of the show today. But let's talk about the AFC wildcard picture because we now have this glut of teams on and 10 and 5. One of them has to win the, uh, the AFC South, either the Colts or the Titans. So that's going to be one team dealt with. But then we're going to have four teams, three positions in the playoffs, three wildcard spots. I was, and still I think am, pretty vehemently anti the seven teams in the playoff things. I think it gives too much uh, importance to the number one seed. And I actually think that you're going to see more occasions. It'll be like the NFC where a bad team is going to get in rather than what we're seeing in the AFC where, astonishingly, a team with 10 wins isn't going to make the playoffs even in a season where we've got uh, seven teams. So I guess I'm going to come to Simon for this first, that there's any you know rooting interest or anything in this. Who's going to miss out, Simon? I think the Dolphins will miss out, I've got to say. Oh, uh, no! I know, I know. And uh, Pittsburgh, for example, have got to protect their own future. So that's why they're pulling all their starters and stuff. Uh, I think that was the game that I was kind of targeting as a Dolphins fan, thinking that Pittsburgh would beat the Browns. Uh, that's what the Dolphins need. I think going to Buffalo on the road in December, uh, Sean McDermott hasn't said whether or not he's going to play the starters or, or, or bench the starters. They've obviously got their playoff route to sort out and to work out in terms of their seeding and how best they feel they can get to Arrowhead, which is almost certainly going to be the home of the uh, AFC Championship game. Uh, and I respect the fact that if they're going to play the starters, they're going to play the starters and the Dolphins have to beat them. I just think the Dolphins aren't good enough to beat them. And look, realistically, the Dolphins have had a great season. They're brilliantly coached. Their defence is outstanding. Special teams is brilliant. But the Colts are a better team than the Dolphins, I think, in terms of ability to get to the Super Bowl. And so probably I think the Colts the Browns and the Ravens will be the three teams that get in and the Dolphins will be on the outside looking in, unfortunately, unless there's a shock in there. But I just can't see the Ravens losing. I think Miami will be the team on the outside, as I say, looking in. Can, can we discuss the, the quarterback situation, Si, and, and your genuine thoughts on that? Because <clears> I was amazed by the, the numbers that Tua put up against the Ravens, you know, 17 of 22, 94 yards. Third time this year, he's had at least 20 pass attempts and finished with fewer than 100 yards. We know he can put the ball down the field, even with that depleted wide receiving court. But against the Raiders especially, and then Fitzpatrick comes in, do you think it's a case of they're putting the stabilizers on him too much and they need to open things up? I know he obviously doesn't turn the ball over, but what's your feeling on kind of where they're at with that now? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a little bit of a stabilizers thing because it's clear that in, and I think what's happened is that that game was nationally televised. So a lot of people saw Tua for the first time in a hole. I think if you go back and look at the Cardinals game, you go back and look at the Patriots game, you go back and look at the Chiefs game, for example, he is slinging the ball down the field. He's making big, tight window throws 20, 30 yards down the field. I think he's also been instructed to not turn the ball over, which he's not done. He's thrown two interceptions, both of which have been on tip balls and one fumble where the ball got snapped into his shin and, and was recovered down at the goal line, you know, which is not what Fitz does. Fitz 
turns the ball over. That's the the thing. And I, and I truly don't believe the Dolphins would be in the position that they are in had they kept with Fitzpatrick for the entire season. Because uh, as good as Fitz is as a pinch hitter, you know, he has the propensity to throw interceptions in big moments. You know, nobody was talking about this in the Broncos game where Tua was pulled, where he didn't play particularly well and was confused by the Vic Fangio defence. And then Fitzpatrick came in and threw two interceptions and the Dolphins lost the game. It's only because they had this miracle comeback that everybody's saying, oh, you know, what's happening? What's happening? I think Tua is the guy. The calls for the Dolphins to use that number three pick that it looks like they're going to get to draft another quarterback is ludicrous. He's played, he started eight games. You don't give up on the fifth overall pick after eight games. And he's done more than enough already to, to prove that he can be the guy. And I don't think he's helped by the fact that Justin Herbert is, you know, playing from behind and therefore slinging the ball about all over the place and looking great. But no, I think he's the guy and I think he is the starter moving forwards and, and so he should be. But I think it's great that Brian Flores can feel like he can do what's best for the team in that moment because I don't think the Dolphins would have beaten the Raiders had Tua stayed in the field and, and Fitz was, was the spark plug they needed. The key word you said there as well was miracle. That play was ridiculous. It just doesn't happen if you take that snap 999 times out of 1,000. And I'm probably lowballing that. Like, you could up that to 10,000, 100,000. It's a one in a whatever play. It's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe Tua makes that play if he's in the game because he gets face face masked and he manages to hit a ridiculously wide open guy just enough down the field that the 15 yards on top makes it a makeable field goal. You know, it was, I I hate the percentage plays that we get from as much as there's some really good stuff that the, the modern stats game can do the percentage win chances nonsense. But you imagine the dolphins at the start of that snap, it was like 0.0001%. Yeah, also, it's okay for rookie quarterbacks not to play very well at times. You know, this, <laughs> yeah. isn't, this is what I've got. You know, yeah. and, and for a rookie quarterback to be confused by Vic Fangio's defense and then a Rod Marinelli defense shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. You know, it's it's football. Will he improve? Then- Absolutely. It's um, you know, nobody's expecting him to come out and throw three hundred and fifty yards and five touchdowns and look like Peyton Manning every game because that's just not reality. It's not like every pass is acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> just on that that win percentage thing I don't know if you saw on Sunday when uh, the Chiefs were down by four they flashed up against the Falcons they flashed up that the Chiefs were had win percentage was 20% and I was like I mean, has anyone watched the Falcons all year? It's about 200%. They are going to win this game. Yeah. Has anyone watched the Falcons or Patrick Mahomes at any point? (laughs) The guy had three double-digit comebacks in the playoffs last year. Like, I nearly swore. I very nearly swore and I bit my tongue because, you know, saves you having to edit it later. Uh, Right, let's get into the bad. And, I mean, this went into the bad. I can't help but feel like the three people who are currently on this call didn't necessarily hate seeing the Patriots walloped on Monday Night Football to have their first losing season since Bill Belichick's first in charge, just their second time missing the playoffs since 2002, the first team from the AFCs to sweep them since the realignment of divisions back then. I think we all, when Bill Belichick threw the phone down in frustration on the sideline, which will become a meme forever. There was very much a, I could hear Chase the Sun playing in my head and the darts crowd going for, da, 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 da. I, I, you know, oh dear, you've had unprecedented success for basically 20 years. Lump it. But you do have to ask, Liam, what now for that team? Bill Belichick talked about 
absolutely selling the farm for the last four Super Bowl appearances. So is this now a long-term issue or are they just going to draft a quarterback and be fine? I think it's bigger issues beyond just the quarterback, to be honest. I mean, the thing that stood out to me, when you look at a Bill Belichick team, you think well-coached, special teams especially. They had the fake punt where they left both of the gunners wide open and only had 10 men on the field. I think Buffalo's first kickoff return, they got back to halfway. The, the challenge, as you mentioned there, with the, the famous video of him throwing the phone, that was awful. Just situational things like that, which you really don't expect from New England. And you look at the future, you look at Stephon Gilmore, who is he going to be there next year? They've talked about trading him. They've clearly missed him because JC Jackson, who you know a lot of us thought was the top, one of the top Pro Bowl snubs, he's been absolutely bullied by Stephon Diggs in both of those games against the Bills. He's clearly much better as a number two when Stephon Gilmore is there, so they need him back. Joe Tooney, who's probably been their player of the year, potentially playing across that line, he's playing on the tag. Do they keep him back? Julian Edelman, who they've massively missed since since he went down injured, he's he probably goes this year because they kind of look to move on from him. And that's probably the worst wide receiver call left past him. And then what do they do at quarterback? You know, I don't. we still don't know if Stitton's going to start this week in week 17. I don't see why they wouldn't. They probably should get a look at him. But the fact is, the fact they haven't had a bigger look at him so far suggests they really don't fancy him. It does, it, since that injury just doesn't look like the same player at all. This, I mean, the, the rushing touchdown he had, he still got a little bit of that magic. But he, there was throws he was making where he was just skipping five-yard passes into people's feet. There's just There are an awful lot of issues there. And you look at the rest of the division, the Dolphins that really improved and good for the future. The Bills at the minute look like perhaps the most informed team in the AFC East. And then obviously the Jets are going to be uh, Super Bowl contenders next year, depending on what goes on there. But yeah, it's it's it doesn't look good for them. I don't think there is a quick fix. I think there's a lot of problems there. The only thing that you would hold your hat on to is they've got the perhaps the greatest coach of all time there at the helm and you would back him to somehow find a way to, to right the ship. It's fun to watch, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, it would be more. It would be more fun if your team didn't have two wins all year. I have to say. Yeah, well. do, do you know what is particularly enjoyable about it is that there was just that sliver of hope for about three weeks, around kind of week six through nine, where they got to four or five wins and they'd maybe had one decent performance in that time, and Matt Sherry just started to believe. Can we just replay the clip from the very first episode where he said, "I'm pretty sure they're going to get to the AFC Championship game." I might find that and drop that in. I think he said it was nailed on that they were going to reach the playoffs. The coach of the year thing is interesting. I've always joked that when Bill Belichick retires, it's probably the award they'll name after him, but they never Mm -hmm. give him it because he's so much better than everybody else. He can't win it in most years. And that has been the reality. I think he's only won it twice. Um, I think there's a good chance he does win it this year. The reality is that we can point out flaws in in the team. and, And I think Sai's pointed out the two biggest I can also point out that if the right tackle situation, which is an if, is good, then they've probably got one of the best five offensive lines in the league. And they've got the best secondary in the league. And I would say that that mix is what propelled them to the Super Bowl win two years ago. It's still there. I think Cam will work. There has never been a greater gap, and and I love Andy Reid to bits, between the best head coach in the NFL and the second best head coach in the NFL, as there has been in the last decade. And it it really hasn't disappeared. So I think while Belichick's still there, I would expect them to figure it out. And I think we'll be in the playoffs one way or another. I mean, this is the same man who called for, as a, in football, as a Manchester United fan, called for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's head just at the wrong moment about four <laughs> weeks ago. And literally they haven't lost a game since and have been... He also, he also vehemently argued that Chris Smalling was a world-class centre-back. <laughs> we love the man, but he is... Um, the king of hyperbole. Yeah, he really is. Which sounds 
like a hyperbolic thing to say, but there we go, the irony. Uh, on the other side of it, let's talk about an AFC team who have been awful for the majority of that same stretch of time. And, and that's a little harsh. They were all right in the early 2000s, but just the one playoff appearance in the last decade, they are going to get the number one overall pick now in Jacksonville. We talked a bit about it as a landing spot for Trevor Lawrence last week, but there was an interesting moment in the middle of last week prior to them sealing the number one pick where over the course of two days, about four or five different NFL insiders tweeted seemingly an opinion rather than a piece of factual information that Jacksonville seemed like a really good landing spot for a GM with the number one pick coming with Trevor Lawrence, with a nice young roster, you know, lots of cap space, almost like they were, you know, maybe asked if they could possibly put that information out into the world maybe in exchange for more information coming back to them. I'm not suggesting that that's something that they ever do, but... Who would do that, Will? Who it, would do that? It was astonishing that it all came in about a 48-hour period. I'm like, everyone's backing this job suddenly. But you do have to ask the question, Simon. You've now got Trevor Lawrence coming in. You do have the cap space. You've got all that comes with that. Surely they can now be looking at a much stronger pool of candidates to try and turn this thing around and, and get absolutely the bit, the best possible option out there on the market yeah and I think what they need to do more than anything is bring in a a big time coach who can really help Trevor Lawrence and the name that I keep hearing is Urban Meyer which would be fascinating given all that he's done in terms of offensive football both at Florida and obviously Ohio State I think Meyer would be a you know if he's healthy um, which has obviously been the biggest issue with him but if he is I think that would be a hell of a, a hell of a signing you know GM wise who would not want that position, you know, you've got you've got multiple picks in the first round, the second round, the fourth round, the fifth round, the seventh round, and you've got more than a hundred million pounds worth of, of cap space. You've got a lot of good young players. You know, Lawrence obviously coming in, but you've got James Robinson, Chenault, DJ Shark. You've got uh, Allen at defensive end who's played really well. You've got Miles Jack still there. Um, the kid they took in the first round out of uh, CJ Henderson out of Florida, the cornerback. So there are some there's some pieces there already, and you think that you can throw in you know, some decent spending free agency plus all those draft picks. It's going to be a, uh, why wouldn't uh, any sort of GM want to go there? And, and, you've, yeah. and you've got a, a patient as anything ownership Owner. who stuck yeah. with Dave Caldwell for a long time, Liam, whilst we thought maybe it was time to move on. Yeah, and I, I look back at um, Ryan Grigson with the Colts who drafted Luck 2011, I think it was, and he got probably got longer than he deserved because he hit on the most important position and, and, you know, you're going to pick Trevor Lawrence with that first pick. So you're going to hit on that position and you're going to get even longer as a result of that. He was, uh, he was executive of the year his first year there. Yeah. But that was also the Bruce Arians coming in the, 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 with the cancer and everything else. It was that year. So you kind of felt like not only have you landed on Andrew Luck, but you've also managed to steer the organisation through a pretty rough time. I got why he got given time, but by the end you're going, basically every pick since then has been dreadful. Yeah, absolutely. Just picking up on what Sai said there, I watched DJ Chark on Sunday and he made that ridiculous catch in the end zone. I genuinely think he's got sort of Alan Robinson, incredibly underrated wide receiver who, once you get him with a competent quarterback, is going to be an absolute superstar. One name I think to watch is the Indianapolis Colts assistant general manager, Ed Dodds, um, who's extremely highly rated, uh, works with very well with Chris Ballard. If you hear him talk, uh, he is a um, he's a guy you absolutely listen to. Um, but Dodds for me would be somebody who uh, I think would have a very very good chance of getting that job. Apparently, Dodds has been the um, the hot name in Detroit. But there's the prime example of 
why would you take the Lions job over the Jacks job right now? Yeah. Like, what yeah. about that team makes you say, yeah, yeah, that's the one for me. I'll take the place where the quarterback probably wants to leave at this point. So the, the last one from the bad. I should have to add the list. All right, let's talk about week 17 because it is, I, t- I tried to look through and find some positives. From a scheduling perspective, you cannot blame the NFL for some of the matchups that are in there for this week. You think about how good 49er Seahawks was on Sunday night football a year ago when it, you know, the game ended on the one inch line and it was for the NFC West. Absolutely. Those two teams looked like they would be the ones yeah, chiefs and Chargers. Everyone thought the Chargers had a good chance of, of making the playoffs this year. There are games in this schedule that you think, yeah, those, those are the right games to have put into week 17 when it's all the divisional matchups, but the way it shook out is that we are getting Eagles, Washington with, Taylor Heineke in prime time to end the night, just because it's the only game which by that point is guaranteed to have proper playoff implications. Rams Cardinals should have been in the conversation, but once the Packers beat the Bears, and I mean once the Packers beat the Bears, then the Rams can go, oh, right, so we just rest rest all of our starters, which they don't want to see on TV. Doesn't that kick off at the same time, though? Yeah, so my point is, if they put it into Sunday Night Football, then the Rams could have done that. So that's why they put it at the same time. You know, they wanted to avoid an Austria-Germany situation. So that's what the way that it's ended up figuring out. It's not great, but let's talk about some of the games which are going to have some relevance. Rams-Cardinals obviously does have relevance because it's at the same time as Packers-Bears, but... We are going to be having a backup quarterback in for Los Angeles in John Wolford. Yet Blake Bortles couldn't even get the job at this point. What a damning um, in of Bortles, by the way. He's, <laughs> he's, he's gone to an AFC Championship game and he's the backup in this game. Um, so it sounds like Kyler Murray is going to play on the other side of the ball, but that, I mean, from what we've seen from them in the last seven or eight weeks, there's been what, like one really good Cardinals performance in that time? And that was against the Giants. So... The NFC West, which was going to deliver four playoff teams this year at one point, uh, Simon, hasn't proven to be quite the uh, the rip-roaring division that we expected it to be. Yeah, the backup bowl that I'm most interested in is actually the, the Washington situation, because obviously they'll go into that game knowing that either Dallas or the Giants will win the, uh, or win the division, uh, given that they're playing each other. And so they will then have to beat the Eagles with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. And Heineke is a great story. He went to Old Dominion, graduated in 2015, was undrafted, kicked around the league a little bit, went to the XFL, uh, and then opportunities dried up. So he went back to Old Dominion to continue his engineering degree and then got just a phone call, a random phone call from the from Washington to say that we want you to be our emergency quarantine quarterback, which was, you know, he wasn't going to play, but he was just there in case, you know, there was a massive outbreak of COVID. And all of a sudden now he's starting in the most important game they've probably played since since the, the RG3 playoff game. So it's... Uh, it's fascinating to see how it's all played out. And um, it just makes you a little bit sad as well for the whole Dwayne Haskins situation in terms of, you know, how he just managed to screw things up so phenomenally badly. Because, you know, if he'd really cared about the position, cared about the job, he would have been in Heineke's shoes, getting ready to to play Washington's biggest game in five, six years. And unfortunately, he's a, a street-free agent with an awful lot of regrets. Who, who's surprised that they find a way to get an NFC East game on Sunday Night Football? Thirty-four <laughs> <laughs> successive week. Very true. The Haskins situation, it's it, dipping our toe into the ugly waters here. But yeah, it's not pretty that at all. No. I don't think we need to retread everything that's happened. But can you see a team, Liam, 
maybe if you can get him in on a super cheap deal and see if you can, if he is a reclamation project, but honestly, I'd, I'd still even then don't see a team that's looking at the attitude he's shown and his approach to the job and thinking to themselves, yeah, we could probably turn that guy around. Yeah. Simon saying you sort of feel sorry um, for the situation. I don't really feel too sorry for him, given that I feel like he's had multiple chances in, in that situation, you know, and you think sort of for best fits, you think, well, maybe he, he needs to come in and learn from, a good veteran with a good attitude. Well, he's been learning from Alex Smith for the past year. You can't get much better veterans to learn off than him. I said, know, he, I said it going into the season that he's in the best situation to possibly succeed because of that. Bec- yeah. And not just because he, you know, he showed when he was with Mahomes and Kaepernick that he will put ego aside and continue to work with these guys. But also, it's a pretty inspirational story. I don't know if you've heard what happened, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of reason to find that guy somebody you could learn from. And yet... Yeah, I mean, this it should have been a wake-up call of what happened last week. As we say, you don't need to go into it, but it should have been a wake-up call when he lost his starting job at the start of his second season. Uh, and These things just don't don't seem to, to click with him. I, I think he will get a chance somewhere else because of how successful he was at um, Ohio State. And so I imagine that someone will take a look at him with a veteran quarterback and maybe on a cheap deal and maybe hope that finally this is his wake-up call. But I saw yesterday split from his agent as well, which is another sort of warning sign that perhaps he, he's just still not getting it even now. So yeah, I'll be surprised if we, I'll, I imagine he'll find another team, but I'll, surpri- I'll be surprised if we ever see Dwayne Haskins as a starter in the NFL again. He'll be out of the league in two or three years. On the point of Taylor Heineke, just as a side note, um, he is represented or at least was by Lee Steinberg. And he's a guy who, when he was coming through as a rookie and in his first couple of years, we chatted to on Radio Row and he was on the field in Minnesota when um, Teddy Bridgewater uh, had the injury. He was on the practice field that day. And we hadn't actually got into the interview intending to talk to him about that, but did. And he's one of the most erudite and kind of delightful human beings I've met while doing those things. And there's a lot of nice people kicking around the NFL, but I I've got, a I root for him quite hard because he seems like a really good guy. And that part of me hopes that they do go and win the division and with everything happening with Ron Rivera and you know, if they could just get sold and get out from under the Snyder dynasty, that would be lovely, please. And thank I think you. Dallas are an interesting team getting into the playoffs though. I mean, that offense is really clicking with the, the receiving core, especially and uh, and Andy Dalton. Uh, the defence seemed to have stiffened up a little bit. So it will be interesting to see how it, it plays out. It does feel a little bit too late for the Cowboys in terms of how they've managed to, you know, to go from two and seven. But uh, interesting as well, we, we mentioned the other day, no two and seven, no team that started two and seven has ever made the playoffs. And all three of those NFC East teams started <laughs> two and seven. So that record is going to go. I, I did. I, I, I was getting frustrated three or four weeks into the season, though, when people kept going, no, oh, and three team. I was like, yeah, but we've never had seven playoff teams from a conference yeah. before. So you just have to throw those all out of the window. This isn't the same as that. This is winning a division having started two and seven. Yeah. I mean, whoever wins that division, I think, gets thrashed by the Buccaneers in the wild yeah. card round anyway. So as, as interesting as any of them might be, I just don't see any of them getting past Tampa Bay if, if they play as they have the last few weeks. As it stands now, what's your Super Bowl matchup? Uh, in the last issue of Gridiron, I said it was going to be Chiefs-Rams. Since then, the Rams have lost to the Jets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Darren Goff has looked worse than uh, any other quarterback in the league. So, yeah. I think the Chiefs will get there from the AFC. I think the NFC is a bit more wide open. The Packers have looked like the best team past couple of weeks, but that's just picking two number one seeds probably. So, but the, I like the. I think the Bills could potentially go all the way. The way they've looked the last few weeks, that could be the team that kind of. And it would be great as well for that fan base for 
mm. what they went through in the 90s to kind of get all the way there and get one. And, and lose to the Packers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. Really? Right, right now, I am feeling, I, I just, uh, the Chiefs were dreadful this week. It was Patrick Mahomes' worst game of his career, which considering it was the worst game of his career and he led a fourth quarter comeback, kind of just indicates who Patrick Mahomes is, I guess. But the... So, uh, yeah, if I'm feeling a little bit fruity, I'd probably go for uh, for Packers' bills. But I think there's a lot to be said for those two number one seeds. And plus the Chiefs are getting to rest starters this week as well. So they're getting a real kind of proper set of buys and, and getting properly time off. And would you bet against them scheming it up for those couple of playoff games they're going to have to play with a couple of weeks off to not make sure they did something special so it's hard to look beyond them I also had the Rams I had the Rams winning the NFC West uh both at the beginning and mid-season so don't worry Liam you're not the only one who was uh, hoisted by that particular petard what about you Simon I think I'm gonna go Bill's Buccaneers I think the Buccaneers are such a difficult out in the NFC I just go back to that game where they absolutely hammered the pack I'd love to see the Packers make it but yeah. Can, can you uh, imagine how insufferable Matt Sherry's going to oh, be God. if Tom Brady makes it to a Super Bowl? Because it won't be, I don't know, I don't support them, I don't support them, but oh, isn't it amazing? Like he actually posted in the group the other day, and I know we've been ripping on him today a little bit, but he actually posted in the group the other day that it's astonishing what he's doing at 43 years old, and he doesn't really talk about it, about it enough. <laughs> like, it's literally the most the talked thing. about thing in the NFL for the last seven years. And also about how amazing his deep ball is this season when it's been absolutely shambolic. His age is talked about so much that during a Zoom quiz, I was asked, uh, one of the questions was, how old is Tom Brady to the, the day? And I was about 10 days out because his, <laughs> his age is talked about that much. That's how much is thought about. Uh, that's astonishing. Uh, good. Uh, right. Well, let's, um, let's get through the couple of uglies we've not touched on yet then. And we talked about the AFC wildcard race last week. The Browns, their receivers, none of them end up playing against the Jets last weekend. I'm not sure that that was as much of a decider fact. It's clear that, especially down the stretch, that... Baker Mayfield was only looking for check downs or tight ends and that was a problem but they also didn't just run the ball 30-40 times as we maybe expected they might do it certainly clearly had an effect though and there's a lot of people asking why you know other games have been postponed and that one couldn't have been does the fault lie at their door or do they have a, a fair gripe Liam? I always find it difficult to have too much sympathy when the four receivers that were in close contact, this occurred in the recovery pool area where there was videos of players not wearing a mask. So it's like, unfortunately, that's your fault. I guess I can understand the gripe in terms of earlier in the season, the Titans and Ravens had games postponed as a result, but there was more cases there. But you you know the situation. We've known it all year about the COVID rules and what happens if you're in close contact. So, yeah, unfortunately, I, I have very little sympathy and especially because it was against the Jets obviously <laughs> yeah I realized as soon as I asked you you were the wrong person <laughs> but you know you've already done a better job of presenting than me today when you asked uh when you asked Simon about the quarterback situation in Miami so maybe you should take over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah zero sympathy and also I just don't understand why Kevin Stefanski I mean they threw the ball seven of the first eight plays I mean I don't know if they're trying to make a point but you've got Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb just run them like 25 times each. I mean, come on, this isn't that difficult. And if you want to, just sexy up a bit, run some Wildcat, run some Veer, run some like, you know, go back and have a look at some of the old kind of um, single wing stuff and three running backs in the backfield and uh, and do what Oklahoma did with, you know, back in the day, all those sorts of things. Just mix it up a little bit, get creative. A bit like the Dolphins did with the Patriots a few years ago with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams. I didn't agree with how the, the Browns tackled that game. 
uh, in terms of their offensive playbook, which is, I've said already a few times this season, um, I think Stefanski's done an excellent job, but there's times where you just think, yeah, could do better, I suppose. Finally, we are at that time of year where you get the odd team who um, who kind of have thrown in the towel on the beach, as we would say in uh, in football terms, uh, and the Detroit Lions very much look like... When you fire a head coach with like four or five weeks of the season left, you sometimes get that little bump and teams turn it around a little bit. Not properly, but I'm not here to say that the Buccaneers didn't deserve a dominant win and they were very, very good. But man, did the Lions just open the door and let them in. Their head coach, though, and their offensive play callers, were the, the, the head coach was the person who uh, fronts the main desk at reception. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the offensive play caller was the play caller was the the lady who does all the sandwiches in the uh, cafeteria. I mean, <laughs> they were so struck down by COVID that it was. I mean, <laughs> all jokes aside, I think the guy who the guy who was calling the plays was like a video assistant guy who'd never been on the field on game day ever. Yeah, he was calling the plays against Tom Brady. It's like, hmm, happy Christmas, buddy. Blaine Gabbert's first throw here was to a wide-open Rob Gronkowski. If he played against that Lions defence every week, he'd probably earn a $100 million contract in free agency next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, did anyone have like a like, a dislike or, a, or an unsung hero from the last week or so in the NFL they did want to touch on before we wrap ahead of obviously what's going to be a brilliant week 17? I don't know why we're doubting it, guys. I just want to nominate Jaya Alexander and Xavier Howard as the two premier cover corners in the NFL. Both of them played really well again against uh, against the Titans and Raiders, respectively. I think uh, it's just the most, for me, it's the most difficult position to play in the league, especially in the modern era. When you look at Howard's got what, 10 picks uh, and could have had another one if he hadn't got his legs caught up on Nelson Aguilar. Totally eliminated Henry Ruggs. And then you saw Jaya Alexander just doing what, showing why he's the best corner in the NFC on two or three occasions, just getting into knock balls away, whether it was covering the tight end, Johnny Smith, whether it was covering AJ Brown, um, just a pair of superior press cover corners. What's um, what's the record in a season for interceptions? Um, I can't remember. We just need the Dolphins and the and the Saints to both reach the, the uh, Super Bowl so that he can catch all of those interceptable passes from Drew Brees and break the record. Uh, I love you, Matthew. Liam, was there anything you wanted to put forward? Yeah, I'll quickly go for uh, a home a few, Willie. Jack Wilson, 200 yards total offence, 183 yards of 22 carries, and then the, the touchdown reception as well. And just, you know, we've talked about it before, but whoever the 49ers plug in there seems to be a, a huge success. And, and as Simon said with the Jets, you know, 49ers deserve an awful lot of credit not for throwing in the towel this season, despite whoever's been there at quarterback and that augurs well for next year. Yeah, I think uh, as much as Jeff Wilson was really good this weekend, he'd been awful on kick returns, had lots of fumbling issues in previous weeks. So I think a lot of that, you've got to give love to Bobby Turner, to Mike Lafleur, to Shadowhan as well for sticking with him, knowing he's got talent and for and for coaching him up. You know, it's good job from them in a rough situation. And you know what? As Matthew's not here as well, Robert Sala has done a brilliant job with that defence this year. Absolutely deserves to be in head coaching conversations this year. And I'm saying it now because I just can't be asked to have the argument with him when he's on the pod inevitably next week to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, if only he was less of a shrinking wallflower who just doesn't want any attention <laughs> on him. He might get some head coaching both lately. Uh, there is that. There's a reason that Liam's replaced him. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right 
Boys, lots of love. Enjoy your New Year's, whatever you're uh, getting up to tonight. Uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting lots over the weekend. Keep an eye on the social media accounts at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram. Uh, we'll be doing a reaction, probably try and do it early next week off the back or later in the week to preview the playoffs. However, we're going to do it. We'll figure it out, but there'll be a show for you next week, breaking down what we saw uh, and looking forwards. Otherwise, thank you for listening and watching. If you've been on the YouTube channel, subscribe, notification button, all that good stuff. This has been the Gridiron Show. Hold up. 